Every year, hundreds and thousands of companies are struggling with a very, very serious issue, and that is embezzlement. Now, you may not realize it, but there are a lot of companies, small, medium, and large companies that are struggling with embezzlement. And for the most part, smaller companies are probably more likely to have an issue with embezzlement. But the problem is they don't really have the processes in place to help them find it or to stop it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about embezzlement and we're going to share some tips about things that you can do in your business to protect your business. So if you're an accountant and you're really trying to figure out, hey, how do I help my company? Listen to the tips that we're going to share. And if you're a business owner, listen to the tips that we're going to share because these are things that could help protect your hard-earned cash and stop you from suffering from embezzlement. Welcome back to the CFO Game Plan. I am Lola Turner, and today I am joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Terrell Turner. Where you at, Terrell? Hey, <laughs> welcome to another episode of the CFO Game Plan. Today we're going to be talking about four practical ways to really to protect your business from embezzlement. So when we think about embezzlement, Terrell, what's the first thing that kind of comes to your mind? Somebody needs to go to jail. Oh, <laughs> well, that's direct. <laughs> I mean, because I will say is having worked with some clients to where the first thought is like, oh, my gosh, like I didn't realize someone's been stealing from my business. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, I've seen this situation happen where working with a client and I'm looking through the numbers and I'm like, hey, something isn't adding up here. I'm looking at the money that's coming through sales. I'm looking at the money that's actually in the bank account. And typically the first reaction for the business owner is somebody's been stealing from me and yeah. I need to, I need to call the police. Now, eventually, like I said, they calm down and then they're like, okay, all right, I'm just going to have a direct conversation with the person and resolution, you know, we reach some resolution um, and, and we'll talk about like kind of some of what some of those resolutions and some examples. I won't mention any client names, but we <laughs> will have fun talking about the conversations. <laughs> yeah. And I guess just to start off, I mean, I think let's just define embezzlement. I think embezzlement is either not just stealing money or the theft of money, but also the misappropriation, which basically means using money on things you're not supposed to be using money on. So that's the first thing. Let's just define embezzlement. So I know that, you know, especially as a medium to, to, to small business, right? Like a lot of people would be like, well, you know, I don't really have this problem or, you know, I don't have a, a large operation. I don't really need to spend time, you know, securing it. But in reality, a lot of companies, even companies that I've worked for, have been exposed to embezzlement where people have been stealing money, not just stealing money, but even just outside attacks, whether it's people asking you to pay invoices that are fake or trying to get money and access to your bank account. All of those things are embezzlements. 
And I think it's just important as a business that you really secure and establish processes now that protect your business so that as it grows, you have those processes in place to keep your business safe and protect it from people stealing from you. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is, I believe, well, let me know. Maybe I can't say the truth of the matter because I don't have the, the data or the statistics on it. But mm -hmm. from where I have seen embezzlement happen, it has happened more for smaller businesses than it has for the larger businesses. And I think a lot of times people tend to assume, oh, I'm not a big business. Embezzlement isn't happening. And I'm like, that's probably makes it more likely that it's happening because you don't have any processes in place mm -hmm. to even catch mm -hmm. it when it does yeah. happen unless you catch it when it's too late. And a lot of people who do get involved with embezzlement, you know, we hear about in the news, oh, this person embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars and or this person embezzled, you know, millions. And we hear about those stories. But what you don't hear about is, you know, the person who's embezzling smaller amounts from small businesses, yep. and that tends to happen more frequently. And so, I mean, I think this is a very important topic for business owners. It's a very important topic for accounting and finance professionals. Especially yeah. the accounting and finance. Yeah, the accounting and finance professionals should be the ones that should be kind of monitoring so stuff like this doesn't happen. Exactly, exactly. And I think the point that you made is also a good one, because I think most people just assume it happens at bigger companies because of the size of the company, right? If a company is making $60 million, no one's going to notice $5,000 here and there. But I think, like you said, smaller companies are actually more exposed to this, not because of the size, but because of the lack of oftentimes controls and processes. So some of the things we're going to talk about today are really going to be practical questions that you need to ask yourself, not just as a business owner, but also like just an accounting and finance person or someone who's even, you know, owns or does accounting for people of just practical questions you should be asking yourself to make sure that you're protecting and setting up effective controls to make sure that people are not put and you're not susceptible to theft. So um, anything you want to say before we jump into the the first one? Um, well, I, no, nah, let's just go ahead and jump into the first one okay. and then we can just really we'll, we'll talk about examples as we kind of go along. Yep. So I think I think the biggest one is really examining who you give access to your financial records. I think for us as finance and accounting people, especially people who are trusted with companies' financials, that is the most important. And I'd say the most important thing is who are you giving access to your financials? Who are you giving access to your accounts? How, how much information are people really receiving when it comes to your financial records? Absolutely. I do think this is probably the easiest, you know, control that people can put in place. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I tell, like with a lot of our clients is, you know, we provide bookkeeping and CFO services. So when we're doing bookkeeping, we need to be able to see the financial transactions. We need access mm -hmm. to the bank account. But if you're working with a major bank, for the most part, they have these what you call kind of um, access management. Most major mm -hmm. banks have it to where you can give your accountant limited or view only access to the accounts. And so yep. one of the areas that I always tell all of our clients is 
even some of the clients that have like absolute trust and they're like, hey, Terrell, I'll give you my login. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But for my team, we're going to create a limited view. So my team only gets a view only access. Like my team doesn't need to be able to generate transactions. We don't need to be able to write checks on your behalf. That's not what we do because that's going to leave you more exposed than you need to for us to do the bookkeeping. Yep. And I think there's also, there's a concept in accounting and just overall in uh, companies where they call segregation of duties. There needs to be some sort of separation between the people that are signing the checks and the people that have access to deposit the checks and the people that are uh, are able to write the checks. So there really needs to be some sort of separation between who has access to your account. Like, for example, like Terrell said, like viewing the account is really all your accountant needs to be able to help uh, put the numbers together and to be able to put the financials together. So you really need to make sure that you're intentional about when you create that is making sure you are really as examining how much access that person needs, right? So like, for example, you know, someone that is a, a partner on your bit on your team may have more access than someone who is like a clerk or someone who, especially a contractor, because I think I've seen a lot of people have gotten caught up in that. And we'll talk about that more in, in the next practical examples. But you really need to make sure that that's something that you're asking yourself on a regular basis is how much access does this person really need? Yeah. And I, and I do think to, you know, to the point that you made about, you know, one of the core processes in, you know, accounting is, you know, your accounting control environment is mm -hmm. that that segregations of duties, like I said, the person who has the ability to generate a check or let's say to pay vendors shouldn't also be the person who, you know, has the ability to create vendors and to create invoices. Now, an example of that or a real life example is where there was a company that, you know, I had some exposure to that they didn't have those segregation of duties in place. So the person who was actually creating the invoices and the vendors adding them to the system was also the person who was transacting or, you know, hitting the button to generate the checks to pay these vendors. That's a problem. And what happened? <laughs> was i mean it, it is and what happened was that person then came back and what they noticed is like hey well if i have this control they created a fake vendor in the system and it i think it was like their cousin that they created they created mm -hmm. their cousin in the system and they issued like you know regular 500 payments to their cousin and no one really noticed it until this bill had gotten up to like thousands of dollars over time that they had paid their cousins. And it was like some uh, I think it was like some handyman or like um, <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, one off repair type of company that they created in the system. Now, mm -hmm. on the surface, no one really pays attention to, hey, five hundred dollars going out here or there. Right. Like, hey, it was for repairs and maintenance. No one really asked a lot about it. But it wasn't until like we got to the point and it was time to issue a 1099. And you had to look and see, okay, all right, all the people that you paid more than $600 a year, all right, yeah. we need to issue them a 1099. And then when this, this vendor's name came up, it was like, okay, all right, you know, do we have their contact information? Do we have the W-9? And 
that's when things started to come to surface. Like, well, what has this person been doing? <laughs> that's when the exposure, that's when the plot thickens. So I'm, I'm actually surprised. You see, this is the problem sometimes. When people embezzle you, listen, you always get found out because there's always that one piece that you miss, especially if you're not an accountant. Like, for example, like the 1099 was a, was a dead giveaway because, right, you have a bogus phone number in there, a bogus email address. And now they're trying to find the find the person for this. And then also like with 1099s, it's tied to your social security. So you're always bound or at least a TIN number. So it's all you're always bound to have to go back and trace the dots. And I think that's why like an accountant, someone who actually knows what they're doing is so important because they will help you identify those things that are red flags. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's not necessarily, hey, someone is actually stealing money, but it may just be a good opportunity for you to make sure that you're regularly reviewing your financials on a regular basis. So I think yeah. either way, you know, it, it's important to have the right person on your team doing that. Yeah. And I do think to that point about there, there when you're talking to smaller businesses that are maybe in growth stage, maybe you don't have the luxury of being able to have multiple people to split to have the segregation of duties but i think that's where you can work with an accountant to create the control processes that hey if someone is doing something wrong mm -hmm. what are our processes to catch it now yeah, I, I think in in that case with that client is or that company if they had someone that was doing like a regular review of all mm -hmm. the vendors in the system maybe they would have found it earlier and they wouldn't have, you know, paid this person's cousin so much money and found it after the fact. Yeah. And I think another thing also why the reviewing the financials are so important and having someone is that could have been easily flagged and identified. Like if you were doing financials, for example, and again, I don't know what kind of business this was, but if you have a charge every other month for a handyman, and you know that you haven't brought anyone here to do any handiwork, it should be a red flag. Like, hey, you're seeing, you know, hey, I'm seeing there's a there's another charge, a consecutive charge. Like the accountants and the team that does your bookkeeping starts to ask those questions. Like, for example, that's one of the things we do when we review our clients' financials. Like, hey, this is a trend. This is what this is. Hey, go back to the business owner and say, okay, is this a one-off charge? Is this going to happen again? Or if it's a trend, hey, is this something we can expect to continue? Like those kind of questions are really the thing that kind of help identify any red flags that you have. And I think, you know, I used to have this, this perspective before and say, you know, when you're just starting out your company, um, you know, you might have situations where you have, you're kind of wearing multiple hats. But personally, in my opinion, um, and I've come to realize this over the period of running the business, I think accounting is definitely one hat you should not be wearing. I don't care how early in your business you are. I think you should really hire and bring someone on relatively quickly. Like that should be one of the people that you hire first, even if it's, you know, maybe just a, a, a accountant to help set up your controls off the, like at the beginning or to help build processes in the beginning. Because one of the things that I've heard, even in the, some of the interviews that we've done recently with um, some of the law firm owners is I think two or three people have said this consecutively, like bringing an accountant on or hiring an accountant at the beginning of establishing my law firm was the best thing that I could have done because it really helped you kind of go into the business with developing that structure to where as you grew, you had a system in place 
to help manage that growth so that then you weren't having to kind of scramble because I think oftentimes that's what happens when you don't have solid processes in place, especially when it comes to accounting, you find yourself in positions where as you grow, now you're trying to kind of fit and manage and create processes for an existing process, right? Or for for a wheel that's already kind of running. And so my advice would be an accountant is really someone you need to bring in earlier on as soon as you can. And, and, and probably one of the first people that you need to hire as you're growing your business, because it's going to be critical, not just to give good financials, but also protect your business from running into these issues as you grow. Because the reality is you're not going to have time to review this all the same, you know, every single time, every single day, you're not gonna have time to monitor every single transaction. And so really having those processes established ahead of time will prevent you from really having the risk of, you know, running into situations like this. Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying that, you know, I had to like catch myself and calm myself down because I was like tempted to like, you know, tap the desk and hit the desk. And I was like, you should have, you should have tapped the desk. You should (laughs) have been like, preach. You kind of went quiet on me. So I wasn't sure like if I lost you in the recording, but. um, I I noticed like, as I was leaning forward, like I almost like hit the, hit the desk and I'm like, okay, that's going to make my camera shake. So I'm like, let me make sure I like, I sit back and I don't hit the desk to uh, make sure the camera and the mic doesn't shake. Um, But, but I I think that that is, is, is a great point is, I didn't, I think, you know, to summarize kind of the first point, I think it's, you know, where you have the resources and the number of people on your team to mm-hmm. be able to separate those responsibilities of the person who is able to write checks should not be also the person who has the ability to create, you know, vendors and, and create invoices in the system because then they can just pay themselves. And yes. if you aren't large enough to separate those transactions, then I would definitely highly recommend working with an accountant that can help you design processes to say, hey, how do we put safeguards in there? And I would say for any of the accounting and the finance professionals that are watching, this is a great place for you to add a service to, you know, that you can offer to clients and businesses like, hey, we do a, you know, a financial controls assessment, or we can do, we can do a financial controls analysis to make sure Mm -hmm. that you have certain process and you can charge companies a fee to come in to make sure they have some safeguards around their, you know, the way that money moves in and out of their business, because small businesses are definitely getting stolen from a lot and they don't even realize it. Yep. And another tip I'll give to a business owner who's listening to us and saying, I'm small. I don't really need to, I need, I don't really need to bring an accountant and I'll be fine. I'll just hire someone once I get my point to like my business to a recurring point of revenue. Trust me, this is the best money you can invest because I can say, speaking from experience, we're charging companies that come in and that we're onboarding thousands of dollars to do cleanups and to establish processes that could have been established probably for a cheaper price and would have taken less time than when you come in and you've been running your business for five years and it's a hot mess. And then now we have to kind of help you basically restart and recreate processes that really should have been established from the beginning. So, you know, 
being the, in the accounting and finance space and looking out for business owners and helping them save money, this is a good way to save money, right? Also, it might cost you what you consider to be a lot of money right now to set those up. But I promise you, it is a lot cheaper <laughs> than what you will pay a good company like us to come in and do cleanups and make sure that your financial controls are established in place. So it's worth investing in that money ahead of time when your company is still starting and then waiting. And, and of course, like if you're five years in and you're 10 years in or whatever, and you don't have these in place, like fear not, it can still be done. But my biggest advice to companies, you know, before we move to the second point is just, if you have the opportunity to build those processes now, do it because it's going to save you a lot of pain and, and, and cost you less money to do it now than it will. If you're trying to do it kind of years down the line, once your business is already like effectively up and running. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the second point that I think that was that I've seen is a lot of businesses, sometimes when you you're growing, you want to get, you know, different charge cards or credit cards mm -hmm. or bank cards for different employees within the business. But one of the things that some companies don't do is they don't put limits on those cards. And I think Ooh. that's one way to really help you is if you are going to give people in your organization a card, is actually put a limit on how much they can charge on their card. Yep. No, I think that's a really good point because <sighs> this is so critical for, for several reasons. One, I think it helps really forces a conversation. If you're spending more than your limit, let's have a conversation about it, right? Like what's the process for deciding what should be going on your credit card versus, you know, how do we decide what is okay to be spent on this credit card? What's okay what is okay for you to spend as someone who has access to a company credit card or has access to a company bank account? So this one definitely forces you to really have control over what that looks like for each employee that you have in the business. Yeah, I agree. And, and I do think that it's more so than just, you know, trying to stop embezzlement and trying to stop stealing. I think from an operational standpoint, let's say if you're trying to qualify for a certain loan mm -hmm. and let's say, you know, the bank says, hey, your average outstanding daily balance on your debt needs to stay below X. Well, if your employees are constantly spending money on the credit card and that balance doesn't get paid off to the end of the month, you could be in jeopardy of triggering a debt covenant. And if you trigger yeah, a debt right. covenant, that could be, you know, that could mean a, a several issues for you on trying to get financing or trying to qualify for lines of credit. So yeah. you want to make sure that you're kind of monitoring that. Like, hey, if you have employees who have credit cards, hey, they can't go over, let's say, $5,000 at any given time. So that will put them in the habit of making sure you know, that whatever balance is on there, that it gets paid and it gets addressed to prevent your company's debt, daily debt limit from going over a certain point and triggering some bad, you know, debt covenant agreements. So what's a, just for the audience, for those that don't understand, what's a debt covenant? Can you define that? Yeah. So for, for a debt covenant, I mean, if you're going to, let's say, a financial institution and you take out a loan and, you know, they will say, hey, we'll give you the, you know, the, the hundred thousand dollars to invest in your business. Mm -hmm. But in the loan agreement, they may come back and say, 
here are the stipulations because if you become more of a risk and let's say if your daily limit or your daily outstanding debt goes above x the bank may be looking at that and saying like hey if you are taking on too much debt you might not be able to pay us back so they may write in the contract to say hey if you become too big of a risk we have a right to demand that you immediately pay back 100 of your outstanding balance and for yeah, most businesses that. <laughs> that are that are taking a loan you don't want to trigger a debt covenant because like i said the bank their goal is to make sure that they can limit their risk so exactly. they're going to write things into the agreement that protect them which when they're writing things in the agreement to protect them it may not be in your best interest. So you want to make sure that you pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah, I think another way to also look at it would be like, for example, why um, the percentage of your credit card that you use is affects your credit score. Like that's just another example, right? When you have high usage on your credit score, you're using, or I'm sorry, on your credit limit, like you have a $50,000 credit card limit and you're using $49.99 of it. I mean, at this point, it's like, hey, you haven't paid it back, you know, or in the statement. So at that point, you're a high risk. So that's just an example of, of what that would look like on the personal end. But um, I, I think- I was going to say, I mean, and I think, you know, having the limit on there also, it, it definitely gives you an indicator to where if you have an employee that is, you know, their credit card, they're close to their limit continuously, then mm -hmm. maybe you have a conversation with them and you understand like, okay, all right, why is this person so close to their limit all the time? And maybe they need a higher limit on their credit card. Maybe, you know, having the low limit that they currently that have. Money. Yeah, it's opting them from being able to do it there. Let's say, for example, if you have a salesperson, because what yeah. you don't want is you don't want your salesperson that's out there traveling to go close new deals. But then for that salesperson to then have to come back and say, well, I can't go see this customer because my credit cards to this limit and I'm waiting, you know, three days for the company to pay it. Like you want to look at that stuff on a regular basis and say, hey, are the limits appropriate for what that person's job is doing and and even i will say when if you plan on doing like different office events and stuff like that let's say if you have an admin that's responsible for you know paying for all this stuff for the office event or for the office party maybe during that time you want to increase the limit because you know they're going to have more expenses during that time. So maybe you need to look at things like that. So your, your limits don't become a hindrance to stop people from being able to do their actual job. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's a really good segue into the third practical point on how to protect your business from embezzlement. And that's just approvals, right? So I, I think in a situation like you mentioned with the, with the salesperson is just being able to establish limits, right? And, and say, at what limit or at what point do you require additional approval from, let's say, the CFO of the business? At what point does this require approval from your manager or whatever, depending on the size of the business, right? So approvals are critical. And it goes back to, again, the the having someone that is holding you accountable, because then it's a much easier conversation when, hey, I as the manager or I as the CFO had to review it because you have another set of eyes. I can make sure that 
you know, hey, the, the money that you want to spend is legitimate. Or like even the example where you said of people that are maybe consistently at their credit limit, right? It's it's a good time to evaluate, hey, does their credit limit need to be increased because, hey, they're spending all this money. Like, for example, a salesperson who is trying to consistently bring clientele in versus an admin or maybe someone who doesn't really have any business buying, you know, $500 worth of supplies or $1,000 or $10,000 worth of supplies every month. Like, so really, I think the approvals allows you to really set that um, accountability and have that and make sure that people are spending where they should be spending and above a certain limit, it's it's being approved by by whoever it needs to be approved by in the business. Absolutely. I mean, I think across the board, you should have approval levels to where if a certain amount of money over X Let's say, you know, if a person's limited, they can spend up to $5,000 without, you know, any additional approval. But let's say if they're spending more than $5,000, they need, you know, they need additional approval from their, you know, their supervisor or their manager. I mean, and depending on the person's level within the business, you can adjust that, you know, that approval limit. I mean, and, and I'll give a a very real practical example where there was a company that I know of, I won't disclose the name, but a company I know of, what they had done is they had allowed their, the people to go out and to buy some stuff on behalf of the company and then to reimburse it. Well, you know, it was a restaurant and they had the person go out and the person had to buy some things um, for the restaurant. Well, what the people were doing is they were just going to the most convenient place, which was a convenience store. And they were buying supplies for the restaurant from the convenience store. Now, one of the things we all know is if you go into any gas station, the prices are significantly higher. So, right. I mean, think about if you're a restaurant and you need to buy extra paper towels for all the bathrooms in a restaurant. Well, if you're buying it from a convenience store, which is the most convenient place for that person. But mm -hmm. that person, when we looked at it, that person was spending like hundreds of dollars a month on buying paper towels. And it was because they were buying it from a convenience store as opposed to going to, let's say, a more bigger box office store, which they could have gone to. But part of it was the person wasn't really doing anything illegal. Malicious, just, they right. were doing what was convenient. But if, if, if there would have been limits in place of saying like, hey, when you do a supply run for the business, you know, your supply run should be, you know, less than, you know, X amount of dollars, then that person probably would have had some type of safety or I guess you say safeguard in there to know, hey, I probably can't afford to go buy all this stuff from the convenience store because I'm going to exceed my limit. Yeah. And, and I would say even beyond that, for me, it would just be a... a a determination of like, hey, if you're going to stock up on supplies, like, I think this is why it's so important to just have, like you said, a, a policy of how you operate and best practice, or just if you're going to buy supplies for the store, these are the list of places where you can buy it from, or these are the options that you have, right? It doesn't have to be like, you know, down to the penny. If you're going to buy tissue paper, buy it only from Costco, like not, not that, but I think there needs to be some sort of guidance because the reality is, the people in your business, depending on the level, like, for example, if we use the example of a restaurant, like not everybody is a finance guru, right? Like for them, hey, this is twenty dollars. 
here at the convenience store, this is $15, you know, or, or this is like $5. If I buy it at Costco, it's $20. If I buy it here, like people are really thinking through the financial implications, especially if you are an employee of the business. A lot of times people aren't thinking through that. But I think if you said, hey, for supplies and restocks, you can only purchase it from these stores. I think it kind of helps also have that predetermined, like, kind of set boundary of, hey, this is where you can spend the money and this is where you can't. And I think this is this goes back to the point that we made earlier, why it's so important to have processes in place earlier on so that when you do get to that point, like it's very clear, hey, this is what you can and cannot do, or this is where you can and cannot spend money. Um, and I think it just goes beyond, you know, just saying, okay, you can't spend over, you can't spend above this money, this amount. Um, because in some cases, I've seen situations where people be like, okay, then I only buy one toilet paper. Well, uh, we need like, we need, we need a whole, don't just buy one roll. Like we need a whole box of toilet paper. And so I really think just providing very clear guidance on where you can, I think like even big companies, right? You have selected vendors or preferred vendors. Like there's a reason for that because we know, you know, even like bigger companies that pick pervert preferred hotel vendors, for example, they have preferred hotel vendors because they get discounts with those hotel vendors. So, you know, they're not necessarily saying, hey, you know, make the best decision and pick the cheapest vendor. You might pick the more convenient person for you, but really is, hey, these are your options pick from this list. But we know that, hey, it's going to be in our best financial interest if you pursue either of these options on the list. So I think it just comes down to like just being clear and really having um, a, a set process and policy in place um, when it comes to how you run your business. Absolutely. Now, yep. now on the fourth one, I will say is this one, I think it, it does require an extra step, but mm -hmm. I do think it is very worth it. If you're going to have people in your business that are spending on behalf of the business is requiring expense reports becomes very, very important. Now, you tend to see this with a lot of larger companies and smaller companies don't do this as well, which they should. And, and, yeah. and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, well, I'll let Lola share her perspective <laughs> and then I'll share a story about how this became a problem for a business. So I'll let you share your perspective on expense I'm reports. I'm just going to say that I personally am not a fan of expense reports. Um so I travel a lot I've been my new job. I've been traveling a lot for work. And so there's just, it's such a pain. I mean, I'm not going, I'm not going to lie, but I will say that it's extremely important because it does two things. The first thing is it helps give accountability, right? So you know what I'm spending and you know what I'm spending it on. I think the second thing is for tax purposes and just for expensing and categorization purposes, it also helps your accountant to know where the money is being spent, what the money is being spent on. And then I guess as a bonus, a third one is it also helps provide accountability to make sure that you're spending money in the right places. So I, I would say those are the those are the big things. And I think there's apps nowadays that really make it easy for you to track and manage these expenses and to be able to kind of attach the receipt right away when you do it. That's big company talk, but I will kind of let you talk more about like, when it comes to mid to large to medium or to small businesses, like, Hey, how that's been navigated. And I'm actually interested in the story. So maybe tell the story first and then you <laughs> kind of go into details. <laughs> awesome. So now travel with me with this story. There's a small business and this small business, they regularly had some, you know, a manager that needed to run out and get some supplies. So the owner, 
gave the manager, hey, here's my credit card. They were in the in, in, in an emergency. They were working on some stuff. Gave the credit card to the manager. The manager, hey, here's the things you need to go. Didn't ask the managers to, to submit an expense report or to submit, you know, the receipts. So okay. what ended up happening was the owner was so busy taking care of these special orders in this emergency that they never asked for their credit card back. So no. it wasn't until like <laughs> we were, <laughs> it wasn't. This until, is already like, this is already <laughs> a bad idea, but okay, carry on. <laughs> it wasn't until we were doing kind of a month in reconciliation and I'm looking, I'm like, something isn't adding up here. Like, and I'm like, well, what were you sending on this, this, and this? And it was like, I don't recognize those expenses. And so, needless to say, this turned into a bigger ordeal of, he first was of like, all, well. <laughs> first of all, are you saying the employee was putting, they were using the card, the credit card for their personal expenses? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Let me okay, finish the story. So, okay, so, you know, me and this, me and this client, we're looking through these things and he's like, you know what? He was like, something isn't adding up here. And so then I, and I was looking at the timing of some of these, that like when we looked at the, you know, the credit card account, we looked at the timing. I'm like, who's buying stuff at like 11 o'clock at night? Like what's going on here? And so I was like, well, they've been shopping at this store. And so that person was like, well, hey, I know somebody that works there. So he called security there and security knew him. And typically you need to get like a court order to get like access to the security footage. But the security person was like, hey, I can't send you the video, but I can watch it. And he was like, yeah, I see your manager shopping in the store at this time. So we had a timestamp. And what the security guard did is he took a screenshot with his cell phone of the person, you know, on camera at the store shopping. So we were able to take that screenshot with the, you know, the timestamp of the transaction. And we were able to see, okay, all right, this person... <laughs> All right, now, we're like, suspense. We what was the person buying? I am curious. Now. Please get Terrell. You we are keeping us on the edge of our seats. Great. We okay, were okay, like, okay. you know, we can see that this person was shopping in this store at the same time that these transactions were recorded that hit the account, and you know, he said, and he called me. And he was like, "Well, what do I do?" And this was one of those situations where he was like, "Well, what do I do? I don't want to send the person to jail, but." you know, they, I need my money back. And so we were talking through that and, you know, what it came out is, um, the person was buying groceries for their home. The person was buying, um, the person was buying some type of furniture for their house and stuff like that. And, and it it was just crazy the things that they were doing. But I mean, I think it was, you know, and, and the reason why I brought this up during the expense report, because I think that there are situations where you may, you know, you may give your a car to someone, you know, in the organization and they may have to go out and get something. And at a minimum, even if you don't do a formal expense report, you do want to get, hey, bring me back a copy of the receipt because mm-hmm. you get into these crazy situations where people just spend money and they don't realize that, hey, 
these transactions are going to come through at some point. So at some exactly. point, they're going to know what was going on. Now, exactly. to get tell you the end of the or I guess you tell Please you the, the rest of that story, you know, so he reached out to the person and was like, hey, do you still have my card or whatever? And the person replied and said, oh, no, I gave it back to you the same day that you <laughs> that you gave it to me. And then he called me and said, OK, all right, I clearly see that this person <laughs> is lying. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my he was gosh. like, he called, he called a second store and, you know, the person and that person was worked at a convenience store and the person at the convenience store allowed him to see the camera. And he was like, I see the person in line. <laughs> this is... <laughs> okay. So clearly this manager was fired, right? <laughs> I just want to yes. know. The okay. manager was fired. I was like, "Did he, hey, pursue, did he or she no... pursue chart like lead, like uh, like police? Like were they arrested? Did they pay the money they, back?" They, like... He did not want to. He did not want to pursue charges against this person. Um, he did let the person go immediately, and you know we had a conversation about this, and he let the person go immediately. And I told him, I was like, see, this is one of those areas where I think it is critical for at a very minimum for you to get copies of receipts that people, when they come back and they turn in the card, whatever card that they use, they need to provide receipts for things because this stuff is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That is. So did they ever get the card back or did he cancel it? No, he ended up canceling the card and got a new card issued. Um, and like I said, that let that person go immediately. Had a conversation on the spot, like, "Hey, your services are no longer needed." And Did you say why? yeah, he 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 explained why. And because um, what I told him he should do is, "Hey, you already have a screenshot of the receipts." It, or a screenshot of them on camera like they were on camera at the register at the same time that the card was being used and i was like what i would do is just text them a picture and say hey my card was used at this store and the store sent me a photo of you at the counter please explain <laughs> that's like that's some like what do you have to say for yourself now what you have to say now stealing money and then lying about it that's the worst oh my gosh buying furniture buying groceries on a company card absolutely unacceptable absolutely unacceptable. yeah it was it, it, it was wild but but i think it like i said it goes back to you know having those processes and having those controls in place because you know crazy when you run a business craziness happens because yeah. you know i even you know lead with this story leading into the fifth point the fifth point is about managing your inventory now you know i'll share another restaurant story because <laughs> you know we work with several different restaurants and i've seen like crazy stuff happens i remember like even when my very first job out of college one of the one of the i guess you say embezzlement issues or theft issues that was going on is you know, I worked at a place that made, you know, they made fried chicken, they made hamburgers, <laughs> hot dogs, and french fries. And, you know, during times where things got busy, what was happening is, like, the manager was doing, like, an inventory, and they were going through the list, and they were like, we seem to be short on inventory. So they were calling the supplier, 
yelling at the supplier, you guys shorted our order and stuff. And the supplier's like, no, we delivered everything. And they're going back and forth. And come to find out what was happening is the guy who was working in the back, who was supposed to be prepping the chicken, what he was doing on a regular basis was he would take a case of chicken and he would put it at the bottom of the trash can and then add a couple bags of, uh, of the type to protect it. And then when he take it out to the trash, he would have someone drive to the back and he would offload it and put it in the back of their trunk. And he Yo. was using it doing cookouts and having no. parties on the weekend. <laughs> oh my gosh. How was he? Do you remember how he was discovered? I swear I can't with these stories. I think because the person kept the person was doing the inventory and he kept yelling at the supplier. And the supplier was like, no, we delivered everything. And then they actually added these extra layers to the supplier process to where the suppliers made sure they started getting sign-offs. And mm -hmm. even when they started, you know, the managers would count everything on the spot. They would get a sign-off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it started to make a contentious relationship with the supplier, which right. isn't good. But mm -hmm. then, you know, after they had that sign-off procedure, they were like, something is still coming up short. And then that's where they started looking at other things. And when they made an announcement to the team that they were doing an investigation, the person eventually turned himself in. Oh, and gosh. He <laughs> oh God. This is just, I mean, the stories. I can't. But it was, I mean, it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, because and, and you know, not to say that that just happens at restaurants, like. I've been around manufacturing companies where it was yeah. a company that manufactured parts for automobiles. And what was happening is, you know, there was somebody on the production line that would accidentally drop a part on the floor. So the part got a little bit of a ding in it. So you couldn't sell it as a new part to the customer. So it had to go into the scrap bin. And what was happening is when it goes out to the scrap bin, that person was offloading it into their truck and they were using right. it to fix up their own cars at home and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we came in, we said, all right, we need to have an inventory review process. We need to review what is the average scrap level, like how much material are we throwing away? And when we started looking at the average scrap levels and we started noticing like, hey, Scrap seems to be ex extremely high during a certain period of time. And then we mm. narrowed it down to a certain shift of the day. Like, hey, on second shift, the scrap levels seem to go up. Yeah, when we started really narrowing it down, we started realizing like, OK, something is is wrong here. So having, you know, managing that inventory and monitoring that it really helped us start to identify like, hey, something is not right here. Like either somebody's stealing parts or we are we have a bad process. Maybe we are damaging too many parts with our process. So we right. like we need to bring in engineers. But it really came down to really paying attention to our inventory is how we identify like, hey, somebody is stealing from the company. Right. No, that's that's really, really good. I think um, counting inventory often is a big one, right? Regular counts like the one, for example, the example that you gave with the restaurant where, hey, they had to start signing for stuff when they received it and counting it to make sure that what you received and what the paper says you were supposed to receive are aligned. And then just regular counts to, to make sure that 
you have what you've used versus what you still have in inventory are aligned, right? The math works. And so I, I think definitely those are some really easy safeguards you can put in place to make sure that um, you are properly protecting your business from embezzlement. So that's a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, you know, all in all, I think, you know, really having clear reporting will really help you solve a lot of these issues is mm -hmm. understanding, you know, like if we go back to, to the, the first part about, you know, who has access to the system? I think at least once a year, every business should go through and review who has access to the bank account, mm -hmm. who has access to the credit cards, who has access to debit cards. I mean, I've seen stories of where an employee, you know, got let go from the company, but the company forgot to get the credit cards back from it and they right. didn't cancel them. So forgot to stop paying them. Yeah, all yes, those you things. Have a, yeah. You have a disgruntled employee who still has a credit card attached to your company. Yep. And so you want to make sure you review that access to make sure that there aren't any issues. And, then and I, I would say, also, just to add one point to that, Terrell, is also not just access to your bank account, but also access to your documents. Like, because I think sometimes when people think about embezzlement, they just think about money, but you also think about like your client list, right? Like, who has access to the contacts for your clients? Because you've had situations where people have gone and started their own thing and taken you know, your client information and leverage that to go do their own thing. So really just putting controls in place and access, you know, not just for your bank accounts and your finances, but also for the valuable things in your business, I think is also important. And also, I mean, around to that point about stealing trade secrets. I mean, mm -hmm. though, if you're if there are some trade secrets to your processes, just making sure that, hey, when people leave, that stuff doesn't belong to them. If it belongs to the company, they need to leave it and you know, if you work in, let's say you have a professional business, like when people leave, you know, you need to kind of monitor, have they been, you know, sending a lot of company emails to their personal email account? Like mm -hmm. maybe you can get an IT person to help you look at that because if they're sending non-conf, they're sending confidential information to their own personal account, like, hey, you probably need to step in and figure out, hey, what's going on with this? Because this doesn't look right. Right. That's good. That's really good. Second uh, recap yep. just was on the point that you were making. I think in addition to access being important, we talked about just the limitation levels, right? So how much of a limit do people have, right? And are they, are you appropriate, making sure you're appropriately assigning limits like on credit cards and bank accounts based on the need of the employee and reevaluating that? And then the third thing we talked about was just really making sure that there's some sort of approval process to, you know, review the information or review the spend of the client. But more importantly, like for an increase in the limit for the expenses, just making sure that there are place processes in place for certain people to review and approve certain things before the money gets spent. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, for those expense reports, having, you know, requiring people turn in their receipts or turn in some type mm -hmm. of expense report, and then definitely managing your inventory. If you have an inventory related business, making sure you know what the beginning balance was, you know what you bought, you know what was used, you know what the ending inventory is, and you can kind of look at, and let's say, you know, you don't do a detailed inventory. One of the ways you can also look at that is, 
They're looking at your financial statement and looking at your gross margin. Your gross margin is going to be your sales minus your cost of sales. And mm -hmm. if you're working with a good bookkeeper or an accountant, they can help you understand that. But that's one way also to find if there are some things missing, because I think at the end of the day, a lot, if you don't have the resources to split up all these responsibilities, working with a bookkeeper or an accountant or a controller that can help provide the right reports that you need can help you identify some of these issues so that you don't run into a situation where someone's stealing money and you have no way to find out about it. Yeah, that's really good. And I think just the uh, last point I'll make is I think it's important just to realize, regardless the size of your company, regardless of the size of your company, embezzlement is a real risk, not just embezzlement and risk of theft um, or misappropriation of funds, but also your trade secrets, the recipe, your great grandmother's recipe that everybody loves and comes from, you know, 300 miles away for like all of those things are important. And it's important to have things in place and safeguards in place, approved limits when it comes to spending money in your business. And like I mentioned earlier in the episode, it is extremely important to make sure that you set those things up as early as possible in your business, because it's going to not just save you time, but also money. And it's also important to make sure that you have an accountant that's really helping you um, identify the red flags as they come up and is also making sure that you, they establish processes in place to make sure that you're monitoring, not just the gross margin, like that you talked about Terrell, but also just the spend, right? Looking for the trends. Okay. This is a one-off charge. Is this really something that's going to continue to happen? Or, Hey, this is a recurring charge. Is this something Thing that you're aware of. Like all of those questions are extremely important. And as a business owner, you might not necessarily have the bandwidth and the time to ask those questions. So it's extremely important that you have someone who can easily identify those, someone who's on the outside looking in, right? So like your accountant would be a good person, your bookkeeper would be a good person who can identify those things, bring them to your attention to make sure that you're avoiding situations as a business owner where you're putting your business at risk of, of people stealing. And ultimately, you just need to make sure that you're protecting your business and doing what's best for your business. So that was um, good information. Terrell, anything you want to add before we wrap up the episode? I would say tune in for more great conversations because we are going to be keeping, we're going to continue having conversations about practical things that business owners, accounting finance professionals all need to understand as part of the CFO game plan. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to another clip of the CFO game plan. To see more, follow us on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts because the CFO game plan is the place where accounting and finance meet business strategy.